This is Strange Assembly episode 273, Farewell 2019. I'm Chris Stevenson, and here with me today are Jay Earl. Hello. And Mike Cook. Hello. And rather than regale you with a rendition of Hail Hail the Gang's All Here, I'll instead suggest that if you appreciate me not doing that, you go to iTunes and give us a rating, a review, (laughs) because that helps people discover the podcast. Come on. If your choice is listening to me singing... Or going and writing a review on iTunes. I think we all know what they would rather do, right, right, folks? Are you now blackmailing the listeners to get reviews? Because uh, <laughs> if that works, we need to do that more often. Yeah, I was going to say go with what works, but it, it probably won't. Yeah, well. But you can also find us at strangeassembly.com or the usual social media at strangeassembly on Twitter, facebook.com slash strangeassembly. If you want to send me a nasty email for trying to blackmail you with my terrible singing, I'm Chris at strangeassembly.com, that sort of thing. So this is our end of the year and indeed end of the decade episode. We are going to hand out our completely chalky game of the year award for 2018 because we like to wait even longer than everyone else does to make sure we get a chance to to play everything. We'll then hand out our preliminary game of the year for 2019, which is, you know, what we think is the best game right now. And then next year, we'll we'll figure out, after we've had more of a chance to broadly play everything, everything, right, you know, more. <laughs> we'll do the, the final award for that. And then we're just going to, you know, talk about what thoughts and questions we have on gaming lately, how gaming has changed over the last decade, that sort of thing. You've already had the chance to listen to episode 271, which had my top 10 games of the decade. I'm a jerk, so I'm not going to give Jay and Mike equal opportunity to, you know, spend 40 minutes each going over their top 10. But we'll, you know, we'll see what they think, right? I I think they'd like to hear what what you think, folks, right? No. I only liked one game each year, so that's okay. Well, that adds up to 10. There you go. Oh, yeah, sure. So instead of saving it for the big, suspenseful, pretending like we're going to get you to listen to the whole thing just to hear it, uh, we're just going to go ahead and give you the game of the year for 2018 and the preliminary game of the year for 2019 up front. So the Strange Assembly game of the year. I'd say drum roll, please, but I think I can just add that as an effect later. Don't get me wrong. I won't. I'm too lazy, but I could. (laughs) Uh, but, that sounds correct, yes. I'll just this, stop. <laughs> tap on my desk a little. Yes, the, the, the Strange Assembly Game of the Year for 2018 is Root, which everyone has heard of at that point, so we're probably not providing any value to you whatsoever. So usual, the usual. <laughs> per, per usual. Yeah. We agree with all of you. <laughs> yes, all of you who think Root was amazing, so is our our collective opinion. For 2019, this is the one where we get like more personalized and random because we don't have like a, a gestalt consensus yet. Because if we had a gestalt consensus, we would just be saying wingspan because that's what everyone is saying <laughs> for 2019. But but what we are going to say for now is our preliminary game of the year for 2019 is Star Wars Outer Rim from Fantasy Flight Games. So Root has been talked to death by everyone. 
and outer rim is far from as pure, but it's not as prominent. So it, it seems worthwhile that it, we should talk about it. I can't contribute to that conversation because I haven't played it yet. So I'm going to pitch it to Jay and Mike, and I'm going to give you the lead-in of why I haven't played it yet, because obviously lots of people, in, in, including you two, like it. So I, I'm going to ask you my question so you can tell me why I've, I've misjudged it and in, in deciding not to play it. So I saw the descriptions of Star Wars Outer Rim, and I was kind of like, oh, that just sounds like Firefly, which is a game that like I like, but is not great. I don't, I don't need to play that again with a Star Wars theme. So where did I uh, go wrong in assessing Star Wars Outer Rim? Oh, no, you're 100% right. Yeah, they just fixed a lot of what made the Firefly game uninteractive and uninteresting. I mean, that was yeah. my biggest problem with the Firefly board game was everyone's playing their own game and you just see who gets to the finish line first. Also, who RNGs up? Was it Kaylee and Wash that were on the same planet? Or, you know, whoever RNGs up, the good people, the fastest is probably going to win. Well, also, you could just randomly fail. Like, That's true. You, know, you just do f- one one failed roll, and then your whole game just goes down. It takes forever to rebuild. Yeah, also true. There was an awful lot of randomness in what you pulled off the planets in Firefly. Okay, so so I guess the, the answer is, no, it's basically what you thought it was, but they just made it better all around. Yeah, but it turns out, when you make that game better, it's actually very good and very fun. And as much as I lo- I liked Firefly, like I liked Firefly a lot, but it's it's just for me the property's diminished quite a bit. It's not so much that it's worse; it's just I don't I get tired of hearing about it, frankly. And there's just not that many episodes to really go over. But it was but Star Wars, like you know, there's a bunch of new stuff. Uh, there's they keep turning them out, right? Well, you know, there's a bunch of stuff from Rebels, and Doctor Aphra is one of the playable characters. It's very easy for them to expand on it because there's just, you know, way more characters for them to do with. I'm really hoping that it sold well enough to actually get an expansion because it's Fantasy Flight, so I'm assuming if it sold well, we'll get an expansion. It also, I don't know how to explain it. Like, with Firefly, you really only met the Firefly people. You didn't really meet a whole lot of other people who were that interested in following for me. But in Star Wars, there's all these different characters that you can follow, and they're, they're all pretty interesting. There's more than, like, one Firefly iconic ship. There's a ton of iconic ships. And they make a whole game about this, right? So it's all just, all of it's built out more. Definitely, yeah. Firefly, you've, for the most part, you have the actual crew of the Firefly. And then you have a handful of, like, there are some cards that are based on some particular phrase. You know, it's Mal's pretty floral bonnet kind of thing. Right. But yes, then and then it's filled out with like who is this background thug from a Well, oh, that's good cuz like I said, yeah, Firefly was Firefly was fun and yet clearly had some flaws from a gameplay perspective. Now I have to go buy another game. Why? Why? We are supposed to say things to encourage the audience to I don't know spend money or or, or avoid spending their money. You're not you're not supposed to make me go spend more money. You're welcome. I will say, like, as good as a game as it is, it can get a little bit predictive. Like, you can expand it a little bit. That's kind of why I'm also hoping that they do an expansion. Like, the board, you can mix up the components for how everything is laid out, but I don't know that it changes that much, honestly. I'm really hoping they either come out with new components for that, or new cards, or 
other stuff, because there's randomness to the game, but it's not only so random, which is good in that you don't get kind of hosed like you can in Firefly, but it's kind of bad in that it's very fun to do repeats, but you also are not seeing a whole lot of, like, you very quickly know what all of the decks are. You know, it has its positives and its negatives. You said you wanted an expansion. So according to the hive mind on BGG, it is the 12th best game of 2019. Uh, you know, put whatever stock in the hive mind on BGG as as you so choose. But that's pretty decent. I, I imagine that to get there, it's sold a decent number of copies. It's higher, you know, it's higher than 12th if you look at the number of votes that it's gotten, which may correspond to sales more than rating. <laughs> right. No, yeah, well. So, right, I mean. Hopefully. Although it, it is interesting. I, I haven't gone back and looked at this. Maybe this is true every year, but the top-rated game for 2019 on BGG is Wingspan, which is very good. I mean, it, it was like our runner-up for preliminary game of the year. It has more than three times as many ratings as the number two most-rated game which is seems like a an enormous spread it it just seems to buy by like light years to be the most popular game of 2019 at least amongst the BGG set i a set to to be to be fair that i'm very much a part of <laughs> i right it's it's not like those BGG people over there it's us BGG people right so i just thought that was was interesting so let me do another ask i guess i think this is going to be aimed at at you, Mike, another game that I hadn't gotten around to like really paying attention to was Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth, but I actually was, for whatever reason, read the, the news bit about them updating their app recently and realized that the perhaps the gameplay model was in the same ballpark as Mansions of Madness. At least it's the app-driven board game kind of thing. So like, you know, mini expansion, they'll add more carriers and that kind of thing. And Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition is, you know, super fantastico. It's, right, my favorite game from the last decade. Right. So how is Lord of the Rings, I know you like it, but how is Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-Earth, and does it have anything in common with Mansions of Madness except being in a very large box and app-driven? I like it a lot. Uh, I mean, it came number three on my list of like top five or whatever for the year. I have not played it as much as I would like. I really do want to play a lot more of it. It's just, I don't know, I haven't been able to actually board game as much as I'd like, period. It does f have a lot of feel-like mansions, and not so much like you're not in rooms for the most part, uh, although it kind of switches from an overland to a to like a cave system or it, like closer combat or whatever. But this still kind of acts like mansions, right? Like, we all do our turns, and then the app tells us what everything else does. Which is a, a great system, right? It works for Imperial Assault, it works for Mansions of Madness, it works for this. Like, it just, it's a solid system. Not having, you know, just having the app tell you, here's what you do, and not have to have a whole another deck of cards to do all that stuff. It's just kind of nice. And it can, you know, it can hold stuff and surprise you, at least for the first couple playthroughs. So does it play more like Mansions of Madness or more like Imperial Assault? It doesn't really play like either, because you do have the two different components. You're actually going out and exploring the map. So I guess it's more like Mansions in that way when you're doing the Overland, but you also have to like manage monster aggro, so it also kind of feels like Descent in its version of the board game. 
or it you know because it also is app driven has an app component so again it kind of generally feels like all those games but also has its own unique feels i i couldn't i guess it would be more like mansions <laughs> but it, it's hard to pin down okay yeah i don't know i keep asking mike about things jay you should make some observation about gaming in 2019 I also wish I had done more of it. <laughs> Stinks getting older. You just don't have as much free time to just um, do stuff like that anymore, you know? And since moving to this side of the country, I have not found a good group like I used to have to do it with any regularity. So I've got my giant stack of mostly from Kickstarter board games that I want to play and have not yet it keeps growing and growing and I don't I'll make some progress but it never seems to get any smaller. Yeah, I I definitely I to the extent any of them are listening, I I do I definitely still mix the my, miss my uh my primary regular board game group from Atlanta. I don't have a a small replacement like that. I mean, I've got a large meetup thing I can go to all the time if I want, but it's at least a little less personal. I've also definitely been spending more time over the last couple of years on role-playing games than I had in the years before that, which eats into a finite gaming budget. I do find that I feel less of a burning necessity to play all the new things. Not that I don't still want to play them, and not that I don't have a little list, but I I don't really feel bad anymore that I've missed this or that. It's kind of like, even with the, the continuing churn, it's like, well, you know, a lot of these are still not going to be interesting. <laughs> or, they're going to be fun, but really not any more fun than the thing that you know, I played three years ago. Although, the problem is, of course, until you've played them, you don't know which one out of those, you know, sixes that's amazing, and you you, you would have otherwise uh, overlooked. Like, for the end of the year for 2018, right now, my favorite game for 2018 is Shards of Infinity. That wasn't even on my list at the end of 2018. I just hadn't played it. I probably would not have played it if I hadn't been handed a review copy. Because it's the sort of game that I like, but it was, I mean, maybe it was kind of like with Outer Rim. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's kind of like, oh, Ascension and Star Realm sort of stuff. Like, I'm good on that front. But, you know, sometimes the little refinements that you make can really make a game zing out. I would always play Shards of Infinity over Ascension, and the, the designers of Ascension can't even be offended because they're the same people. <laughs> I actually have played, I've played a ton of Shards of Infinity because they have the app out, although it doesn't have the expansion. I, like, when I'm bored, I just bust that out and play. I can beat all of the hard AI playing against three 95% of the time, but it's still, like, just a really fun game to play. Yeah, I must be worse at Shards of Infinity because, like, that's true for Ascension, for example, but I lose on a relatively regular basis to the hard AI and shards. I must have to play more. I must need to play more or something. Uh. <laughs> I'm reverse. I, like, I actually lose quite a bit on the Ascension hard AI, but like I said, Char Shards of Infinity, I, like, I, it's pretty rare for me to lose. They just, they don't prioritize 
indexing the whatever where you play the one card and you win, they don't hit it as hard. And uh, like that's such the easy. Well, it's also like random how they attack. Anyways, it's it doesn't really matter. But see what what else have I had surprising? Oh yes, for 2019, I when I was done with Gen Con, I said I I think that the most broadly popular game at at Gen Con, not necessarily like you know amongst your harder core heavier gamer types, but I thought the most broadly popular the hobby game coming out of Gen Con would be Era Medieval Age. That has gone nowhere. I still think it was a fun game, but I thought I thought it like wow, this is a game that I like, and this is a game I think that other people would really will really like, and that is really not the case. <laughs> I hadn't even heard of it. Not that other people think it's a bad game or something. So it's it's like a same designer. It's like a spiritual successor to Roll Through the Ages, except you're rolling your dice and you get to build little plastic buildings on a pegboard, so you get to physically build up your city. I found that appealing. I thought that other people would find that really appealing because I, I usually, I mean, not that these are like super cool miniature monsters or something, but I, it, it seems like the random gamer is more influenced by having like plastic minis in a game than I am. And so if I'm like, well, if I think that's much cooler to have that, other people probably like it even more, but looks like it's going to be one of those games that comes out and People find it okay, but it then just fades away. So I'm surprised by that. I don't know. Apparently, I've uh, I'm not good at assessing what y'all collectively gamers out there are interested in. <laughs> I had never even seen this game. I just had to look it up. Yeah, that is not surprising. It is a game that I thought would make a splash that did not. I still like it, but right, I I can't be wrong about whether or not I like a game, but I can be wrong about whether or not other people will like a game. <laughs> so like I said, I got my crack at the sort of decade-long look back. I didn't know, Jay, Mike, if, if either of you wanted to, you know, highlight any games that, you know, from the last 10 years that you thought were particularly great that, especially if they're not obvious, but just like, I don't know, like do you, anything you want to highlight from the last 10 years in gaming? Narrow topic, go. Seems to me like the biggest thing of the last ten years. If unless when when, when did Kickstarter start? That's less than ten years, right? No, it was the, like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Well, Kickstarter started in two thousand eight or two thousand nine, but Kickstarter is like a big thing in tabletop. It seems like it would be the. Oh, it was right there. It was it was right there because because yeah. uh, I think video games hit it off first, right? Because I think it was Broken Age. That seemed to be the first thing that really got big on Kickstarter that I had heard of. And then, like, everything kind of cascaded down, and that was, like, right around 2008 or 9 or 10. So I think it may have started technically a little bit before, but still seems like it's, you know, very relevant. I think that the Kickstarter has just drastically changed this hobby. First off, that you're letting anybody who can get enough attention to their game publish a game. It's no longer held by the traditional publishers. And then those traditional publishers, too, having to react to Kickstarter, be it by themselves going on Kickstarter, things like Simon that does a whole bunch of Kickstarter games, or Fantasy Flight that doesn't do any Kickstarter, but they obviously have to react to how Kickstarter has influenced our hobby in this last decade. 
So I would say, to me, the la- the big story of the last decade in board games has been Kickstarter and how much that has affected what sorts of games are getting made. Yeah, that was exactly something I was going to say and, and kind of piggyback off of what you're saying. I don't know exactly if it's a net positive or net negative. It's probably a pe- net positive because there's a lot of stuff that would not probably have gotten made if it weren't for Kickstarter. For example, I really like Eclipse, and they're actually doing a second edition that's a really fancy that I kickstarted that probably would never have gotten made if they didn't have that available. But it also means that the market has just expanded a lot, which is overall pretty good, but it makes it really hard to find the standout games anymore. I don't know, it felt like at the beginning of the decade, it was a lot easier to find the things. And also, right, there's just been so much iteration that the new ideas, the board games just hadn't been explored as much. So we're really, especially towards the end of the decade, I feel like we're getting a lot of rehash games, a lot of games that are not very dissimilar, but maybe have like a different theme or whatever, which can be okay. I'm not saying that those are negative. It's just a lot of them are not excellent. They're just like kind of really good or okay. And it makes it like, there's just so much static. It's hard. Like I might really have liked this era game, but I didn't even hear about it because there was, God, what was there's like 800 new games or something this year. I don't know that stat, but it, it, it's ridiculously large. It is, it is. The good and the bad about exactly what Jay said is just whoever can get eyes on a thing, or if you get like something really popular, the good and the bad thing about the publisher, the same with other ways this is affected thing, is the publisher typically has people who play games and know what they're looking for and can kind of know what will sell and what won't sell and what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. It's not like that's completely missing, especially now towards the end games really are basically have to have a finished product or like an 80 to 90 percent finished product and then you will get kickstarted you have to have an outstanding idea for anybody to kickstart you if you're not at least like 50 percent done probably 60 percent done and people are kind of got burned by it right there's a lot of stuff like i'm really excited for the eclipse but they are almost a year past their projected date for when it's going to deliver i don't care i pay for it i put it out on the mind and then when i get it i'm happy because I, I just don't have time for the stress of it. Yeah, I, I think it's very rare the Kickstarter that actually delivers on the date that the Kickstarter said it would deliver. Right. I mean, the ones that are publisher-driven and that they have a lot of experience with it, those ones are relatively accurate most of the time. Yep. But yeah, I've lost track of how many times it's like, oh, this looks like a cool game. They're just wanting to to kickstart it because they like the idea they have no real experience with it but i'm like oh this is cool enough i'm gonna subscribe and then the emails start being like yeah so there's another delay because we didn't know about this step of the production process yep uh it's another delay it's chinese new year so nobody's making things for another month so that's another month delay and yeah and that's exactly what happened with eclipse exactly what you're talking about is what they had and that's fine right like it's a new a thing for them and then you get into groove with people like uh just different ones where basically they're just asking for the money to get all the tooling and everything they've got everything else done they just need the money but then that's kind of weird because kickstarter then starts acting like a pre-order because that's basically what it is for like cool mini it's not anything they actually need for the most part it's really just a pre-order system to to get people in the door and excited to guarantee that they're actually going to sell enough copies to make it worth their while to actually print the thing. Because if they 
don't hit their funding goal, they don't have to bother making it instead of making it and then it just sitting in the warehouse. Right. And well, and you, you also had the negative of you, you have people like Steamforged who ran into something where their their game was too successful, right? Like yeah. Dark Souls took them forever to try and get to everybody, and they had a lot of upset about like providing games to retail before the, the backers because they needed more money to be able to you know get everything because they run into errors and everything costs. Yeah, that that is something that Kickstarters seem to do much less. I mean, on average, I think the the typical successful board game Kickstarter is run by someone who has a much better idea of what they're doing than the average board game Kickstarter five years ago. Well, and also there's companies that have popped up that literally just do this, that just do this fulfillment for these things, that just help with logistics for these things. So, you know, it's a company that wouldn't have existed. Yeah, there's companies that just run your campaign for you. So you make the game, you don't go to a traditional publisher, you just go to one of these guys that will run the the Kickstarter campaign so you don't... They know they know all the tricks and how to get all the hype and all that stuff. Well, and I think Kickstarter is... One, a big part of this is, for the most part, they, people don't do free shipping anymore. Right. I th- think that is another way that, that Kickstarter has changed, is that I, I think that there used to be much more of a get-a-deal kind of flavor to Kickstarter. Like, oh, I'm going to Kickstart this game for $40 with free shipping, and then the full retail price is going to be 60 You're much more likely now, I think, to get, like, it's going to be a $60 retail game. The Kickstarter's like 55 plus shipping or the Kickstarter's like 60 plus shipping but we give you a mini expansion yeah. or something like that. Simon does not need to uh <laughs> they don't need to gauge interest in game. It's it's a cash flow thing for a lot of the time. I mean cash flow for everybody, right. it's a big deal. It's for some of them it's just a way for them to get a bigger chunk of the market than they do. I mean I that might be one of the reasons why, like, Fantasy Flight avoids it, because Fantasy Flight, in addition to just generally having, I suspect, a relatively robust balance sheet, Fantasy Flight also has more games that rely on FLGS tournament space sort of things. No, I mean, they have lots of games that don't, but they have things like X-Wing and whatever is left of the competitive LCGs, which I guess is just L5R. At this point? Yeah, pretty much. And Destiny. Keyforge and Destiny, yeah. Yeah, Keyforge. And I know that Kickstarters have retail-friendly sort of stuff. There is no way that Kickstarter does not take giant piles of money out of the pockets of FLGSs, or stuff stuff that would have otherwise gone to, to game stores. Yep. I mean, you talked about, about Cool Mini. Zombicide is something of an exception in that that actually has had a, a relatively long tail retail release after the fact. But like, if you're interested in some new Simon game, you're crazy not to buy it on the Kickstarter because you're going to end up like, right, you go in and do like the I spend $150 and I get like the game and 7,000 expansions or however they're configuring them these days. Whereas if you wait until retail, like that stuff is just gone. It's your only chance to get it. And that's still, I know it's just because I, I, you know, it's just my quirky thing. That's still for me as a consumer is the, the biggest drawback of Kickstarter is the, 
I have to either buy this game without having had the chance to play it and probably not having any kind of unbiased opinions about it. Either I buy it now on the Kickstarter or else I like permanently miss out on the chance to get whatever it is. I mean, not that there's not secondary market equivalent of this stuff, but for some of the things it ends up being too high. I think a lot of it's scaled down, right? Like you can see Simon's Kickstarters just are nowhere near the scale that they used to used to be. I don't know. I haven't gone and looked at stuff, but it feels like stuff is not like firing as much as it used to. On the other hand, there was like, weren't they the ones who had the like, here's your $150 add on for the two foot tall Cthulhu. Right. Miniature right thing. But I imagine for cash flow reasons, games that are really expensive to produce. So games that are really big and games that have lots of miniatures seem to be one of the the biggest results of Kickstarter stuff like a zombie side where you buy it and get like 150 miniatures. That's never going to happen without the cash flow that Kickstarter generates for the upfront. That's just the sort of thing where you cannot just go out and like make these little small runs of this stuff later on and then maybe find out later how much you're going to bring in. Right. But I don't know if you ban- if you spend it a bit beyond board games, there's like, you know how many different sets of dice and terrain you can buy for role-playing games on Kickstarter at various times? That still has more of a feel of like, there are some people out there who have some nifty idea and they they go onto Kickstarter to make like this one thing instead of being any sort of, you know, established company. I also thanks Critical Role. And I actually do mean that. Yeah. I mean, that's what a lot of that is, right? A lot of the dice and terrain is people are, there's so many people uh, discovering D&D and role-playing thanks to that show. Certainly, Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition has been massively successful. They they don't directly kickstart things, but that I mean, that's another thing that you'll... I feel like it's probably better now because there was so much junk before, but if you remember like back in third edition, there was so much, you just like would drown under third party stuff. And that all went away and you had an extended period of time where there wasn't nearly as much role-playing stuff, but you can use Kickstarter to do relatively small print run stuff of like Pathfinder compatible or D&D 5e compatible stuff, or frankly, just your own game. I don't know how many companies there are out there that are like, I'm going to make a Powered by the Apocalypse game and I'm just going to print it and throw it out there and see what happens instead of, oh no, I'm going to like get this 90% done and then I'm going to go on Kickstarter <laughs> because yeah. that's the because that's how I can afford to actually print these darn things. Coinciding with that, one of the other things I would talk about generally as a trend for this decade that also basically is because of Kickstarter, I think, is the production quality on all games is basically just ridiculously high for everything. And obviously, right, that's one of the ways that you attract people to Kickstarter. And a lot of Kickstarters, like for board games, are really half Kickstarters for the miniatures, especially the CMON stuff. A lot of people buy that stuff, and they really are just looking for the ridiculous number of miniatures that you get. The biggest microcosm of that, to me, is that cheap-ass games which used to be, you know, a game company that would sell you a white manila, fo- not manila, but like a white you know, folder of like some cardboard printout, cutout, and like a little rule booklet for 750 
the whole ethos of that company was, hey, most board games aren't really that different. Uh, you can provide your own nice tokens. You can like uh, nice up this board if you really want to. We're just going to get focus on getting you like a good game. And, you know, there's a bunch of different ones of them. Some of that is kind of coming back, but even they started going to deluxe edition, uh, you know, cheap ass games that are like thirty five and forty dollars. And that's fine. Like a lot of that was nostalgia, too, because they went, you know, they went back to their pool of games that people liked and made nicer, like Kill Dr. Lucky and Deadwood and all that type of stuff. And I kickstarted his book, so I'm not saying I'm not someone who's buying this stuff, but I think that really kind of shows there are other smaller companies coming back, like the uh, the Button Shies and stuff. But just as a whole, production has gotten really, you have to have a really nice looking product, which then, even if you're a small publisher, a lot of times probably feels like you have to go to Kickstarter to be able to get the money that you need to be able to get that production value, to be even able to hit the market, on top of the fact that there's like a million different games. Yeah, you wouldn't want to talk about not going back to the well right now, the most, well, let's say highest grossing board game Kickstarter going on right now is the sixth edition of Car Wars. <laughs> Car Wars is great. Like, I don't I don't begrudge at that. And then the number two is Unsettled the Board Game, which I've never heard of outside of looking on Kickstarter. I do still go on Kickstarter and and look around. You get the mammoth boxes, and then sometimes you're like, why is... Sometimes you're like, how do I get everything in this box? And sometimes it's like, why is this box so big? It's kind of interesting, too, because like the, the sort of intersection of the time and the overproduction massive things is, I, in some ways, like a, all of us, I suspect, have not a ton of tolerance for shoddy production. And yet, you kind of reach a point where the game is so massive and has so much content that it doesn't matter anymore. Like Gloomhaven, right? Right. Oh, God. Super yeah. highly respected game. Like, what am I supposed to do with that? There is no possible universe in which I actually play through Gloomhaven. No, I've, I've for like six or nine months now, uh, like once a month, I'll meet up with some people to play Gloomhaven, and I feel like we barely scratched the surface of that game. If you do a mission a week, you it will take you an, over in a year to do all the missions in the base box. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I, I thought about this with vi- you know with like the video game sort of thing too, where I remember. It'll be like, Final Fantasy X, this is awesome. Like, with all this Blitzball, I've gotten, like, 140 hours out of this game. Like, well, that is completely meaningless to me now. Like, I'm like, what? I No, no, that's, I don't. And here's the funny thing, and I know this is irrational. I almost don't even want it. Yeah. Let's say you took, I don't I don't know what the price point is, but they're, they're releasing a slimmed down Gloomhaven thing. It's like Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. It's just got, like, maybe the four heroes and, and a much more compact thing. and that will probably still sell for like $60, which is not really, that's $40 less than the big box. But if you think about it in terms of like bang for your buck, Gloomhaven is is a fantastic deal. Yep. It's a fantastic deal. But like, it makes me feel bad. I'm getting this thing that I'm that I'm never going to be able to use it. It's just going to sit there and it's going to take up space and it can get played every once in a while, but I'm just never going to get through it. it. It's almost like, can I? I'm almost like, yeah, just just give me the smaller one. Maybe I'll actually be able to play that. <laughs> yep. No, no, well, I mean, and I think that's probably a function as well for us, both of having more selection, like we were talking about earlier, and also probably because we're all kind of at that age where we have more resources as far as money than we do for time. 
Yeah. So, like, Gloomhaven is less of a value for us, because we'd rather have a shorter experience that just gives you a lot more out of it than, like, an okay experience or a good experience, but, like, just a ton of it. And you're like, like you said, yeah. if I could chop off 40% of Gloomhaven, I could probably maybe experience all of that, and I still probably wouldn't. Clearly, I have more resources than time, because I've started buying magic cards again with my kid, which is... An, which yeah. Oh, magic cards. Yep. Magic. Yep. Magic. Mm-hmm. Gotta gather them all. <laughs> well, thankfully, yeah. we're not doing that, <laughs> but... It's all all the little batik stuff. That's what I'm a sucker for. And like, I did not buy any of the secret lair. And now I'm sort of going like, oh, should have gotten the stupid secret lair stuff. Like, I don't even want it. I'm. What is wrong uh, with me? Magic is too expensive to have like a, a compulsive problem. The only thing I wanted from there was the card sleeves on Arena, and somebody was selling that code for sixteen bucks for like all eight sleeves or whatever six sleeves. So I did that. One of my kids likes goblins, and one of them likes kitties, so I guess I could have given them one of them OMG kitties and one of them explosion sounds. They were not... I mean, it's fine, right, because it's a boutique or whatever, but they were not really reasonably priced. I like story stuff. That's There's another thing. I'm, I love the stuff with story, and I love the stuff with the campaign. I actually am much more... Man, that that is something I'm willing to replay, man. Like, the stuff of story, I like, or or I will play successfully. Also, another advantage of expansions is that they can cr- you can cram them in the same box, and with that, it'll fit on your shelf. Right. Because that's always an issue, space on the shelf. Yeah. I do like story a lot more than I used to in games. I mean, I certainly like stuff like uh, Mansions of Manus or whatever that has a story built in, but kind of going back to our 2019 pick, preliminary pick, one of the things I love about Outer Rim is you kind of tell stories while you're playing that game, just naturally. One game I was... I was Han Solo, and I had Chewbacca with me, and then Boss came and stole him off my ship. <laughs> it made me very, very sad. <laughs> but then I got the Millennium Falcon and did the, literally did the Kessel run, and I delivered a Rancor to Jabba and won. <laughs> so nice. I was like... Yeah, there's all these different stories that you build with that game that are really nice. I, it's more, it's emergent, like, it does have little stories and, like, jobs that you do, but there's more emergent tales, and it's not just that game, but that's also one of the things that, like, makes me like that game a lot. I really like games that allow for that. The Race for the Galaxy series, the Race Roll, and New Frontier, there's a lot of, like, storytelling you get from the emergent stuff. I, I've kind of gotten to where I kind of like the emergent stuff more than the story-ish games because the story-ish games like they're fine and they take a lot of work but they also kind of can only do so much at a certain point it just kind of wants to be a role-playing game and kind of isn't to me but well and i I, i've got role-playing games too so there's that yeah yes you made that you made the kessel run in 7.2 kilometers or something like that yeah pretty much (laughs) 7.2 angry other players I like theme. Theme attracts me to stuff. I don't know what's wrong with me. I pay attention to the art on the magic cards now. What? 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 They've been been doing a lot more to, like, push it to the forefront. What does that matter? What does that matter? I I remember back in the day that what mattered was how much you could smash your opponent with the darn thing. Or, you know, prevent your opponent from ever being able (laughs) to play a game as you discarded stuff out of their hand and kind of... Let's pretend like this is going to be my final thing. I absolutely love... I got a 
a nope shirt. Because <laughs> they actually make those. It was on Spike Tournament Grinder and yep. un whatever. But that is that is just the best the best thing that shirt she's wearing in the picture. So I have one of the shirts now. <laughs> nice. Yeah, there's there's one for each color, right? Because I think it's like power for black. They actually make, I think, more than one for each color. Ah. So, yeah, like, one of the black ones is Doom, and there's a bolt for red and, like, hope for white. But nope for blue really yeah. sums it up just just the best. I uh, I were, like, in Throne of Eldraine, the card, just the title of the card, didn't say please, the counterspell. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's quality. Yep. Right there. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I remember the Mother May I decks. Yes. Those were always obnoxious to play against. Now they have them to put three twos on the board. Yes, but... You also have a three-mana uh, three Planeswalker that's amazing that also stops counterspells, so you know. The most annoying Planeswalker that uh, hasn't been banned. But I am impressed. I mean, Magic, they've made conscious design decisions over decades to make the game play more like what people enjoy like they they made like look okay i i know y'all tournament grinders are are doing whatever but there's way too many casual people who just have no interest whatsoever in games where all of their land gets destroyed or you strip all of the cards out of their hand or none of their permanents even hit the table because you counterspelled all of them and then drew cards eot <laughs> you know yeah so I, which I was totally guilty of doing back in the day. Anyhow, so I, w- I will give you the option for a last word about something that's not Kickstarter or Magic J. Oh, God. Uh... <laughs> gotcha. I will say that, again, just looking at the decade and how it's progressed, I do think just because of so many different things that have come out, I really am impressed with just how much this hobby has grown, both in its own right but then also it's become a lot more mainstream i could not imagine 10 years ago going to target and seeing any board games maybe like monopoly and shoots and ladders and now i go to my local target and it's got all sorts of actual quality board games that i would get at the hobby shop so yeah i'm really happy that the last decade has seen a huge expansion of our hobby and it's just gotten better, and I hope the next decade we'll see a continued expansion as more people get into it and really find out how fun board games can be. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we, we can talk about, like, oh, there's so many games coming out, it's kind of hard to figure out which ones are good. That's so much better than, man, there just aren't that many games coming out. Yeah. I played them all and they suck. Yeah. Or there's not that many people people playing games, because I think it's something that kind of died in the middle, early middle 2010s. But Will Wheaton's tabletop had a big impact on getting people into the games as well. Even though it's kind of, I feels like really run its course. Like I don't think they've done anything in like four or five years now. Didn't they have a falling out with the the publisher? I don't know. I did not follow closely enough, but yes, there was some sort of thing with that. Well, it was originally on Geek and Sundry, and Geek and Sundry's kind of fallen, not exactly apart, but it's definitely changed a lot from what it was when Felicia Day started it way back when. Whatever happened to it, still, it was a big, impactful thing that, that really positively got a lot of people into board games that you never thought would have been, and that helped get things into Target and Barnes and & Noble, which gets more people playing just because they pick it up and say, what's this, and then go find some place online to find other people to play with. 
Lord knows I've, uh, I no longer, uh, bother hiding the, like, yes, I'm a super geek. What do you do? What do you do in your spare time? I play tabletop board games. That's right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was on a work call where it was like a training where someone was doing a break the ice thing, and I was just like, uh, I don't know. Fun fact about me is that I have more board games than anybody probably should. He's like, oh, have you ever played Pandemic? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, I, I have played Pandemic. But you know, it just shows how how much more reach everything has. I think that is a a good final thought, Jay. That yes, it it is fantastic that we have. There are many more people to game with, and many more games to play with them. And hopefully, we will continue to have more of that in ye old twenty twenties. Because at some point, my kids will be old enough that they no longer want to be seen with me, and so I've definitely got to have other people to play with. <laughs> yeah, they will, they will eventually learn and come to their senses on that particular subject, yes. I think it's only going up because I literally just finished watching the board game anime that had all the board games in the background where you can actually see them and identify them, and it was freaking great. I, I love that love that show. Oh yeah, I was really impressed. There was an episode of South Park like a month ago where not only did they have a board game club, they were referencing board games that we've played. Obviously, they had actually played the games because they were playing them and they looked correct in the animation going on. And yeah, I'd say board gaming is is a thing now. I'm almost done with Orphan Black, and there's like definitely like the character in there who's a gamer who they actively talk about like oh, and like Rachel, she cheats at Agricola. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? That's half the fun of Agricola. That game is so slow at times. Note to self, don't play Agricola with Jay. Uh, I've said too much. Uh... <laughs> no, he's going to bring out Caverna. <laughs> Let's not have that conversation, because <laughs> it is time to wrap this one up. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in for our final episode of 2019, and indeed of the 2010s. We look forward to seeing more of you, or maybe you seeing more of us, as the case may be, in 2020. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there on iTunes or on the podcatching service of your choice. We do appreciate it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes or elsewhere, but, you know, especially iTunes. You can find us on the usual social media. We are facebook.com slash strangeassembly, at strangeassembly on Twitter, and strangeassembly on Instagram. You can reach me directly. I'm chris at strangeassembly.com. I always like to hear your comments and feedback and criticism and so forth. But until then, for Jay Earl and Mike Cook, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. See you all next decade.